0: So if I look a little bit tired today, um, it's because I started watching a movie past my bedtime. Um, the movie started past my bedtime um, last night, thanks to Jared. Um, <laughs> he decided it'd be a good idea to go watch Dune, um, the new science fiction movie that came out based off Frank Herbert's um, book that um, we'd both read a long time ago, but. Um, we decided opening weekend was the time to go. So 10 o'clock was the time where there was tickets available. And so we, uh, yeah, got home around 1. Because Jared failed to tell me it was a two and a half hour long movie. Um, plus previews. I haven't watched previews in forever. I haven't been to the theater in forever. Um, But we were there and it's, I don't know if you know the story of Dune. It's, you should really read the book and watch the movie. The book, the movie was very good too. They did a good job of it. Um, But it's a pretty epic adventure through galaxies, through space travel, through, and it follows this house of Atreides, who there are these people who were, they're like, they're the good guys in the story, I guess you could say. They're the guys that are honorable, that do right by other people, and they get dealt a really rough hand by the emperor to have to go and take over this planet that is really rich. It's almost like saying to... Um, I don't know what's a good analogy here. It's almost like they're, they're, they're rich on spice, which would be our oil, or like diamonds or something like that, and saying, yes, this one house was rich in oil and spice, and... But we're not going to give it to you anymore, we're going to give it to Atreides. And what the Emperor is actually doing is he's trying to start a war between them. And he's like, and it's this big coup, and they, everybody gets, I know, sorry, sorry, sorry. I know. It was a spice war. But anyway, this is big, epic adventure. I'm not, yeah, you're right. I, as I was starting there, I was like, I'm going too far into this. <laughs> Um, but it's this crazy adventure where they have to like go into the desert and they're living in these suits that like take all your sweat because there's no water anywhere so it purifies your sweat and your tears so that you can re-drink it so you lose only a thimble of moisture a day. And so it's kind of weird, kind of gross, but it's this huge epic adventure with giant earthworms that are like the size of this church, but like 400 feet long. It's crazy. It's this crazy, crazy world. And there's prophecies and there's near-death experience and hand-to-hand combat and everything you want in a good action movie. It's a true adventure movie. I'm going to tell you a story of something else I did this week. I, I don't know if not a lot of mountain bikers in here, but I, um... Francis would have appreciated this. <laughs> uh, there's this thing that United Riders of Cumberland is doing right now. And it's called the Gravity Nines. It's, so it's all the steepest trails in Cumberland, and they give you a month to do it. And so you go up and you ride these super steep, super technical trails. Well, one of my friends, it was his birthday on Monday, and he said... No, we're not going to do it in a month, we're going to do it in a day. And so, we decided to go for, there was eight of us that were crazy enough to join him on this, and uh, we did all of these steep trails in one day. So it was a 60-kilometer ride, 2,500 meters of climbing, my legs could hardly move the next day, Um, but we did it, and it was like, and I... I almost quit so many times it was so close that i was like it's like this is i've done some really big bike rides before and this was way harder than any of them i've done and plus on top of that you're riding the steepest trails so like there's real risk there's real like you're you're dead tired and then we decided to do it's just the way it route work the shortest, but we decided that we would do the steepest trails last. <laughs> so, end of the day after riding 55 kilometers, or something like that, we go down these super steep double black trails and you're just like, legs are just shaking by this point, your arm is shaking, your brain really isn't working anymore and you're trying to make these split second decisions and hope that your body reacts in time. Everything worked out, nobody got injured too badly and we're here. Um, those stories kind of seem why would he say both those things at the the sermon well one of these stories though less epic is a real adventure one is authentic one directly affects my life and the other is just virtual so I'm going to talk a little we're talking a little bit of worship today, and I'm not going to get to that, but I want to propose something, something that I've um, been learning about recently, but in an age of entertainment we have, where we have been culturally conditioned to simply consume, how do we cultivate habits of worship, biblical habits of worship? Because it's my belief that entertainment culture has come and infiltrated our church, Instead of going on a real adventure with God when we come in the church on Sunday morning, we replaced it with an entertainment, a passive form of worship, which isn't really worship. We live in a world filled with entertainment. What's attractive about this is that we can engage in an adventure, a drama, intrigue, quest to destroy a ring that rules them all, without having to change anything about ourselves. We don't need to put ourselves through the hardships, the peril, the risk of death or disease, or real heartbreak. It's all at an arm's length, at a distance, but we can engage in it in some weird way through entertainment. In an entertainment economy, we have been conditioned to consume, and then I leave. No action is required. So this cycle begins in us where entertainment offers distraction without investment or involvement. And if I'm not invested in them, then more often than not, I become apathetic and disconnected. And ultimately, that disconnection produces a cynicism in me towards whatever is entertaining me. And I believe this cycle slips into our church. And it's very toxic. It's, I think it's permeated the Western church where we have almost come to adopt this as the status quo. A.W. Tozer once said, the church that can't worship must be entertained. I think he's seen how much this has permeated all that we do. And I think we want to encounter God. I don't think that our hearts are bad in this. Like, we do want to encounter God, but we've been conditioned to be entertained we would conditioned to be passive and just sit rather than be involved and be a part of what's going on around us. I'm going to get more into that. Um, so I started off with this whole thing. We are in a series in the Church of Antioch. <laughs> How does this apply? How does what Craig said in the passage he read apply to worship. Um, Lawrence was talking last week about... and I wanted to retouch on this because I think... yeah, they don't talk directly in these passages that we're going over about how energetic, ecstatic, passionate the worship was in Antioch. But when you have a group of people... Who are so passionate about Jesus that even though they get scattered, they're persecuted, and they continue to plant churches, there's no way that they didn't have some pretty amazing times of worship. People like that, worship is just a symptom that comes off of that. It's not even like the end goal sometimes, I don't think. It's it's like if you have passionate followers of Jesus who are sacrificing and giving their lives, their times of worship are going to be. I've seen that throughout my travels. I've seen it it throughout... Whenever I'm around missionaries, they're always the ones that worship the best. They've been through the heartache. They've been through the adventure. Their adventure is their whole life. And then when they come together in a place like this, it overflows. It erupts. I think this is what it was like in the early church and the start at Antioch. And when Lawrence said what we're trying to do is come back to that. Like that was when Lauren's talking about his desire for why he's doing what he's doing with his life is this desire to see the church, see the beauty of the early church and see that come back to now. The next chapter I want to read from, um, it's, it's also the church in Antioch, so we're going to jump though to Acts 13. Um, Acts 13 verses 1 to 3. Um, So yeah, start verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. So the church in Antioch is basically saying to their pastors, Get out of here. We got this. They're saying, you have important work to do, we're, you are called to something else, but we, we can handle this, we're okay. It was a church of people who said, who, of people who are passionate about Jesus, who said, you know what, we're all involved in this, we're all part of the body, we can take this, you guys go when that happens i've seen this happen a couple times not like on that scale obviously but what happens with that is something really beautiful where everybody kind of like picks up a corner of this thing right or building a or like moving a big piano and everybody grabs a corner we're all doing this together i saw it when i was i was actually out of youth but it was in my old hometown we lost our youth pastor We didn't have a youth pastor for a while and everybody's like well what are we going to do should we just shut the youth program down um, for a little while until we find someone. They're going through this big process, couldn't find anybody. So instead of shutting the program down, though, they just said, the youth leaders were like, well, we'll take it, we'll do it. And when we don't have a youth pastor, we're not like, paying someone to do this, but we'll all, we'll all do a little bit, we'll play our part, and this is going to work. Um, or we'll get through is kind of the idea. Like It won't be amazing, but we'll get through. By far, that was the best year of youth we've ever had. Everybody took ownership of it. Everybody was a part of it. Everybody was on the team. Everybody pitched in and said and took took some responsibility, some ownership, and said, "You know what? We're going to make this happen. We believe in this. We believe in this, and we're going to do it." I think. Things like that, when everybody pitches in, when everybody has a part to play, is when real worship starts. Everybody is involved. And so the picture I had this week was like, hey, I don't want our church to be, and to feel like a theater. So what should it feel like? And what I felt like I was saying is like, it should feel more like a locker room. And so, a locker room. <laughs> um, where everybody everybody has a piece of place. So if we're talking worship, and we'll talk today like Josh is our team captain today. It's pretty important that Josh is ready for what's going on, that he is in a good place, that he's prepared. But it doesn't matter if you have best worship leader in the world, let's go with football analogy because I always love to do this. Let's insert Tom Brady here. It doesn't matter if you have Tom Brady, the rest of the team doesn't participate, you're not going to have a very good football team. But when everybody comes with anticipation and preparation, which I'm going to get to in a minute as well, beautiful things can happen. I believe this is what was taking place in Antioch. Where there was, you had your leaders say, you know what? Or leaders say maybe they were called to do something else. And they said, you know what? Yeah, we're fasting, we're praying. Notice the church is fasting and praying with them. That they're all doing this together. And they're saying, you know what? We're going to fast, we're going to pray. We know God is calling you to something. What is it? We're going to go at this together. a church like that has very powerful times of worship. And I'm not, sorry, I'm talking a lot about corporate worship today, but I'm not discounting private worship. And I'm going to get to that actually in a minute as well. But, because that is also very important. But, So how do we do this as a church? How do we move from a pervasive culture of entertainment that's surrounding us into a body as a team? And I'm going to use those words interchangeably, body and team, because I feel like they both apply to what we're trying to do. What can we do as we move into this new season as a church? And the first thing I think that we could do to greater um, have a greater times of corporate worship together is come prepared. And word another word I have title for the section I have is come armed with intimacy. When I was leading worship a lot in back in my YWAM days and I was it felt like it was repetitive, and I was like oh, over and over and over again. And the, the base leader came up to me one time and was like, hey, like you don't really seem like you're doing okay, like, you're getting kind of tired of this, like, and I'm like, I just have like, like, I don't want to do it anymore, I feel like it's like, kind of like, dry, and he's like, no, I, I get that, and so he's like, if, he's like, for worship to go well, I mean, especially as a leader, but I think for all of us, it has to start with a place of intimacy with God. He said, where, what is your devotional time like with God right now? If it's, if, if what you're doing as you lead us doesn't come from a place of intimacy then it's pretty useless Thomas Merton once said if a sermon doesn't start from a place of solitude then what's the point in doing it we need to hear from Jesus and that has to be the starting point point. and I think for us as a church as we come as a team into this building that our preparation and our, our preparation has to be there so how do you prepare has to come from your individual relationship with God. I think as you pursue that, as you, and you bring that, and you bring in the words of what, he was, what he's been speaking this week, what he's been doing, how he's been talking to you, and you come and you say, hey, I'm part of this team. Yeah, I'm not in leadership right now, but God has said something, and I believe it's for our body. Then we want to hear that. We want you to be involved in what's going on. A really practical thing you can do is come join us for prayer before the service starts. Like there's little tiny things that I think it's sometimes a little bit funny where we, and full disclosure, I've done this before when you like wake up at like 9.50, you roll out of bed you come walk in the door at 10.15 and you're like, alright spirit, here I am, let's go. It's just like, I, I, I don't think that's quite right. There is a certain amount of preparation. If we're using this like team analogy, you have to have your own skills honed. You have to have come with that intimacy. You have to come prepared. And so I'm totally not judging, and you start where you are, where you're at, and I've been that person that walks through that door late and tired and don't want to be there, and there is so much grace. So when you do that next week, I'm not judging you. Like... (laughs) I totally get it. But what I want for you is an opportunity to come and a readiness to come and an expectancy to come and worship God and an expectancy for him to speak. For me, that personal relationship always often starts with things like adventure. I feel like I've talked about my story of like when I was living in Mexico and I encountered God and I played games with God chasing the waves and being chased by the waves. I would run out to the ocean and then a wave would come back and I would it was a race between me and God. And so if I would run away as fast as I could and if the wave didn't touch me I won. But if the wave touched my feet then he won. And and I should be able to win that. Like naturally you see the wave coming, you should be able to give yourself enough room to be able to do it and I should win every time, but I couldn't because he would throw in some Real <laughs> <laughs> but there is an intimacy with God that we need to cultivate individually and then bring it to this place and then let that explode into a real sense of unity, un- unified worship. If all you have is five minutes before the service starts, if it, even if it's on the drive here and saying, God, take this time. Start there. We want... I'm not expecting you to wake up at four in the morning and start praying, preparing for Sunday morning. I'm, I i can't do that. I'm not there. All these things, I feel like I, I talk about things like this a lot, but a lot of it is starting where you're at, whether it's spiritual disciplines of fasting, solitude, Sabbath, all of these things that i have been trying to apply to my life that I fail at all the time, start where you are. Don't expect to be 40-day fasting. Don't expect to even do Sabbath consistently at first. Don't expect to wake up two hours before the church service starts and be ready preparing yourself to do it. Get, start small and that's okay. And when you fail, that's okay too. That's where there's grace. I feel like we've gone really far in our, I think it's been the last hundred years we say, you know what, I'm saved by grace. I don't need all this legalism stuff. You're talking about, Brett. I don't need to wake up early and pray. I have the grace of Jesus. His blood is enough and I'm going to heaven and that's good. Okay. But I don't think that's what we're actually called to do. If we're called into we're called into being disciples, we're called into being like Christ. And so if we want the benefits of what Jesus' life brings, we have to start living like Jesus lived. And doing the things Jesus did. And those are the type of things sorry, I've kind of gone off on the spiritual disciplines thing here. But <laughs> <laughs> those are the ways I think though that we cultivate that intimacy with Christ. It's through those things and doing what is. And I wanted to say there is grace for when you fail. But there's not grace for not trying. There's grace for when I say I want to be more like you, Jesus. And I'm trying really hard and I wanted to fast today. But then I just got really hungry and so then I ate lunch and I'm sorry. Grace for that. I do it all the time. I really wanted to Sabbath this week. I really wanted to get intimate with you and I wanted to spend time with you. But then I got distracted by my phone and there was something that just like really nagging for work that popped up and I had to do it. There's grace for that. But there's not grace for when I say, you know what, I'm good as I am and I'm just going to sit here and just wait for the end. There's no grace there. The grace is for those who try. The grace is for those who pursue and fail and fall. So as a church, I'd like to call us into this a little more in this next season of saying, I'm going to try. I'm going to try and pursue God. I mean, I'm specifically talking about Sunday mornings of like coming in, being ready, being prepared. How do we corporately worship well? So start there, but what is the Spirit saying? What is he calling you to this time? And let's try a little more to be the body and let's fail together. Let's fail and ask for his grace again.